0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio, the 19th day of June, 2023. To uh, the fathers listening in, I hope you all had a great Father's Day. I had a, a very relaxing one. My wife actually worked all day, and my children are hours and hours away. So I just kind of sat back and watched baseball yesterday, watched golf yesterday. Um, and then my wife came home from work and made me a great steak dinner. So uh, I cannot complain. It was a wonderful Father's Day. Um, so before we, uh, we get to sports uh, from this weekend, there was a story uh, in the Associated Press on Saturday and it's one of those stories, it's, it's perhaps, well, I don't want to say it's my biggest nightmare, but it's one of those things where you go, yeah, that's creepy. This happened in Ecuador. Back, <laughs> back on June 9th, okay, uh, a family goes to a wake uh, for this woman named uh, Bella Montoya, who had passed away. So so they are uh, at the wake, and she, all of a sudden, they hear knocking from inside the coffin. It turns out that the woman is still alive. <laughs> they, they're at the wake. She's knocking on the coffin. So... So, needless to say, uh, I can only imagine how it would have freaked people out. I was talking to Barbara about this yesterday. I said, just, you know, we went to a wake from my mom last year. And, God, can you imagine if all of a sudden you just sat up and said, hey, what's going on? (laughs) This woman was knocking on the coffin on the inside. Well, after this happened, this happened back on June 9th, she ended up going to the hospital. She passed away uh, on Saturday uh, after a week in the hospital. She suffered a... uh, Uh, a stroke while she was in intensive care and passed away after, well, I guess you could say for the second time. I'm sure they did some extra checking this time. Uh, But, I mean, and not only that, after she passes away, they send her back to the same funeral home where she woke up. (laughs) oh my god and and then the uh the hospital says well we're gonna have to we're gonna form a, a committee to figure out how we issue our death certificates <laughs> oh you think <laughs> i mean could you imagine i mean one of you know there's there's a few things that creep me out the idea of uh drowning burning in a fire, and being buried alive right those are the those three things are like ah you know, and it's not something I spend a lot of time thinking about. But can you imagine being buried alive? Well, how about, you know, being in a coffin, you wake up and, like, hey, what the hell? <laughs> Knocking, I'd be, oh, my God, I'd be kicking and thrashing. And, oh, my God, if I wasn't dead, I'd have had a heart attack really realizing I was buried alive. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, it's just one of those stories. It's like it's it makes you laugh, but at the same time you're going, oh, my God. I mean, just trying to picture, you know, if that was you waking up in a coffin. So, anyway, all right, let's get to sports <laughs> on that happy note. Um, over the weekend, uh, Bob Huggins, who is the, uh, well, I should say was the basketball coach at the University of West Virginia, uh, was arrested on uh, suspicion of drunken driving. No, it wasn't suspicion. They did a breath t- breathalyzer test on the scene after he was found. His SUV was found with the tires shredded and the door open. Uh, they tested his breath, and it came out at twice the legal limit. So on Saturday, uh, Bob Huggins resigned as the head coach at West Virginia. Now this was just the, this was the second incident with Huggins in the last few weeks. If you remember, back a few weeks ago, he appeared on a podcast. And uh, made some uh, homophobic references about students uh, at uh, at Catholic schools, and uh, so he was already in hot water. And after that had happened, uh, his salary, which was I think f- a little over four million dollars, had been reduced by a million dollars, and they were going to use that uh, to help fund um, the LGBTQ uh, center on campus. And as well as a mental health center at the university that helps support uh, the marginalized communities. Uh, And he was also suspended for the first three games of the 23-24 season, and uh, his contract had been amended from a multi-year agreement to a year-by-year. So, you know, he was already in trouble. So then this happens, and he knows that, look, they're going to fire me, so he does the right thing. And and I don't know whether they told him to do this or not, but, you know, he – Sent a letter to the uh, university president uh, this weekend, and the director of athletics, informing him that he's going to resign. Um, and he look he's sixty nine years old. Uh, he is the third winningest coach in in, in uh, college basketball history, behind Mike Krzyzewski and Jim Beheim, who both had over a thousand wins. I think he had nine hundred and thirty five wins. He was uh, selected into the basketball hall of fame last year. Last September, 41 years, went to 25 NCAA tournaments, never went, uh, never won a national championship. Uh, his team's finished ranked in the top 10 of the AP polls seven times. Um, and they only finished under 500 five times in his entire career in 41 years. It's impressive as hell. Um, but obviously uh, his life has gone off the rails uh now, he had been arrested for drunken driving back in 2004. He pleaded no contest back when he was at Cincinnati, uh, coaching at the University of Cincinnati, and a year later he was fired. Uh, it was part of a power struggle with the school's president, but they used the 2004 arrest as a part of the reason. Uh, spent a year at Kansas State and then uh, took his dream, what he called his dream job at West Virginia. That's That was his alma mater, so he went back to West Virginia and coach there until uh, until this season, and his career is now over. That's a hell of a way for it to end. Uh, but after the incident uh, on the podcast and, and, and saying the things that he said, you knew it was just uh, a matter of time. It was just going to be a question of uh, why they fired him, not if they fired him. Uh, so Bob Huggins is out at West Virginia, and a search for a new coach obviously will begin immediately. Uh, and, uh, look, it's a uh, uh, it's a good job. It's a good league, and uh, there's going to be a lot of people lining up uh, that are going to want that. Maybe some of the guys that missed out on NBA head coaching jobs this past off offseason uh, will be some of the guys lining up. A uh, name that comes to mind might be somebody like uh, Kevin Ollie, Uh might become uh, uh, a candidate for that job. I could see that happening. Uh, I watched uh, a lot of the U.S. Open. I did not – look, I didn't watch – I'll be honest. I probably didn't watch as much as I normally would have – uh, for a couple of reasons. A, the Red Sox were playing the Yankees, which was big. Uh, B, it just had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but C, the coverage of the U.S. Open, on it was on NBC this weekend. And I don't know how many of you watched it, but during the entire broadcast, for all four days, there was a constant uh, buzzing or drone sound, or what it was, basically what it was, is for the entire four days, there were airplanes and helicopters circling over the course, is what I imagine it must be. And so there was not one moment of me watching that broadcast that you did not hear the drone of a plane's engine or helicopter rotors overhead. It was the most annoying thing Ever, it got to a point where you had to turn it off because it was going to drive you nuts. Um, my wife commented, Barbara commented on several times, like, "What is that?" You know, and and I, I blame NBC for a lot of this because here's the deal. Um, their sound. Uh, mixing this weekend was terrible. For the last day, probably the last four or five holes of the tournament, the crowd noise, they had the crowd mics turned up so loud, you could not hear the commentators at all. It was just – and it was just crowd noise and and the droning noise overhead – wasn't anybody at NBC in the truck listening to this and realizing you couldn't hear this? And as somebody who has broadcasted, you know, a thousand games in my life at least, and who has engineered games while I was actually broadcasting them, you can you can figure out pretty quickly if your mix is off and you turn the crowd mics down, the the ambient sound from around the course, you turn that down. You know, and if it's because, oh, well, you know, we want to make sure we, we get the sound of the club and the ball hitting, you know, just right. The baloney. You know, it was just hard to watch. I mean, the golf was pretty good. Don't get me wrong. But the the broadcast quality was terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, Wyndham Clark wins it. a uh, Edges out Rory McIlroy by a stroke. Uh, Ricky Fowler who read, led the thing for the first three rounds had an awful uh, final round finished I think uh, four or five shots back and uh, so still is looking for that first major but he he look he played very very well. this is a guy who looked like uh, his career might be fading a little bit uh, but I think he resurrected that. Rory McElroy now still nine years without winning another major, he birdied the first hole of the day, didn't make one the rest of the way. 16 pars, one bogey, one birdie, and that was it. Uh, Matter of fact, a lot of the golfers on the final day struggled to to break par. So Rory finishes second, but Wyndham Clark, his second win on the PGA Tour, and uh, it's a major. He won the PGA Championship um, a couple of weeks ago. That was it. So this is a guy that's kind of come out of nowhere and uh, uh, is uh, now cemented himself as one of the names to watch on the PGA Tour. He finished 10 under, wins $3.6 million. And by the way, he won about $3 million for winning uh, the PGA. So uh, he's cashed about $6 million worth of uh, prize money in the last month. And he is now number two in the Ryder Cup standings uh, for the U.S. team. So, uh, uh, again, good tournament, kind of fun to watch. Yell Country Club, strange place. You know, and, and I said, you know, part of the problem with the PGA deciding to have the tournament in Los Angeles, it's hard because it's. It's Los Angeles, and there's a lot of activity going on, and you know that people are going to try to take advantage of it. The crowds were small, and they, and then some of that is because a lot of the members at the L.A. Country Club bought up tickets, and so the crowds were smaller than usual. You know, they're showing these mansions that are on the golf course. Lionel Richie's got, like, a mansion right on the golf course. and But it's a strange course, too. I mean, one of the holes on Saturday was 85 yards or something. I mean, it's crazy. Um. But it wasn't your typical U.S. Open course. It wasn't as – I don't think it was as tough. I mean, it, was, it got tougher as the week went on. But look at the scores the first day. I mean, guys are shooting, you know, 8, 9 under. And even yesterday, Tommy Fleetwood closed out with a 63. So, I mean, that kind of stuff is unheard of in a U.S. Open. But anyway, I, I hope NBC figures it out because that was, you know, that was just awful. It was It was almost unwatchable just because of the sound. Uh, on uh, on the four days. And I know it's a Monday. Mondays typically aren't everybody's favorite day. But if you are a Boston Red Sox fan, you are very happy on a Monday. Because the Boston Red Sox swept a doubleheader from the New York Yankees yesterday. And swept the weekend series. They have now beaten the Yankees five out of six times this season i mean and um, by the way happy birthday to uh, my college roommate tom gentile uh who is a big red sox fan lives down in tampa florida now but what a great birthday present to tom uh the red sox with that doubleheader victory i it was just uh it was great because in both games of the doubleheader the red sox fell behind uh, the first game that started at 1.30 in the afternoon after it being rained out on Saturday, the Sox got down 2-0. Uh, Caleb Ort got the emergency start um, because uh, they were not sure, uh, you know, they were short a pitcher. So he got the start and uh, made one mistake, really. He did not pitch badly. He struck out four over two and two-thirds. He wasn't terrible, but he made one mistake. He gave up a home run ball to Gleber Torres. You know, other than that, he, he settled down. Uh, really, the hero of that first game, the Sox were down 2 nothing. They come back to win it uh, 6-2, to but the real hero of this game was the Red Sox bullpen because you had Murphy, Pavetta, and Martin all come in. They pitched 6 And two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. And you didn't have to go to, you know, Kenley Jansen in this game because these guys held them down. That was huge. Huge. Um, You know, matter of fact, uh, Chris Murphy may be the hero of this game. He didn't get the win because the Red Sox scored the runs when Pavetta was in there. But he came in and threw two and two-thirds innings. Struck out three, only gave up one hit. Settled things down. I mean, he's been great since he came up to Boston and made his debut, what, last week or the week before. Pavetta yesterday, three shutout innings, three hitless innings. Struck out four, didn't walk anybody. He's been unbelievable out of the bullpen. He's made 10 relief appearances out of the bullpen. He has an ERA of 2.2. He has struck out 17 in 16 and a third innings out of the bullpen. Look, there's never been any question about whether Pavetta has decent stuff and whether he can throw the ball hard, and he show, he has shown that out of the bullpen. And maybe this is where Pavetta is going to be best suited. Now, obviously, he wants to be a starter. He's been a starter his whole career, but it's one of those things where you start looking at what they're doing and you start thinking, hmm, maybe this is a good move, you know. And and I don't want to I don't want to get carried away, but you know, look at what happened to guys like. John Smoltz, right? Who went from being a starter to being in the bullpen and turned out to be a hell of a hell of a relief pitcher. Uh, Dennis Eckersley, the Eck, who's one of the greatest relief pitchers in history. This is a guy that was one a great starter. You know, has a no hitter to his credit as a starter and and won a whole bunch of games as a starter, and then turned out to be one of the best relievers in the history of baseball. Maybe that's where Nick Pavetta belongs. But three shutout innings, and then Martin comes in and throws a scoreless. Uh, uh, ninth and the Red Sox win the opener 6 to two. Uh, they bang out 11 hits and uh, uh, Masha Yoshida, who had been struggling quite a bit, comes back and uh, gets a big hit. Uh, Alex Verdugo is hitting doubles all over the place. He's now got 24 on the season. Adam Duvall with a couple of hits, which is nice to see. He has struggled a little bit since coming off. Kike Hernandez with a couple of hits. And uh, they brought Michael King out of the bullpen the Yankees did, who was a local kid. And uh, he got battered around, and the Red Sox uh, scored uh, two in the fifth and then three in the sixth off of King. And that was it. They win 6-2 in the opener. They come back. They fall behind one nothing in the second game at night on ESPN. But Brian Bayo after that was lights out. And I'll tell you what, the Red Sox Bayo did a hell of a job. He he was in big trouble. It looked like it was going to be a crooked number for the Yankees in that first inning. But Bayo found a way to turn it around. And ends up going seven innings. One run. Strikes out eight. That's the second straight game now where he has thrown eight innings or seven innings. But, I mean, that game starts out where he walks Bowers to lead the game off, right? Then Gleyber Torres doubles, so they've got second and third and nobody out. Rizzo then grounds out a run scores, but then he strikes out Giancarlo Stanton and gets Josh Donaldson to ground out, and that was it for the Yankees in that game. Yankees managed five hits. They only had four hits in the first game, five hits in the second game. And uh, Alex Verdugo, couple of more hits in game two. Christian Casas with a huge two run double off of uh, Severino in the fifth, or was I think it was actually it was in the sixth I think, and uh, the Red Sox sweep the doubleheader. Unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the Yankees owned the Red Sox last year. Now, the only downside to the weekend on Friday night, Tanner Hauck got hit in the face. And, look, I I guess if you can be lucky getting hit in the face, Tanner Hauck was lucky. At first blush, when he first got hit, I I was, uh, I thought that, uh, I thought he got hit in the eye. And I was like, you know, it was like you almost wanted to throw up. Fortunately, he got hit just below the eye. Now, it turns out that he has a facial fracture, which, you know, to the surprise of nobody. I guess in some respects, he was lucky it was only hit 89 miles an hour. But he is now on the 15-day injured list. Don't know whether he's going to need surgery they're going to uh, reevaluate him early in the week. Uh, Alex Cora said that he finally got some rest on Saturday. He was pretty pretty uh, sore on Friday, but he was able to rest on Saturday. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's lucky. He's going to be all right. It's just a matter of whether he's going to need surgery or how long he's going to be out. The, the biggest issue for Tanner Houck, quite frankly, might be mentally. Because after you've taken one in the face, nobody would blame you if you're a little bit gun-shy the next time you get on the mound. Same as uh, earlier this season when Justin Turner got hit in the face. Nobody could have blamed him if he was a little gun-shy. Look, there's been people whose careers have ended. I remember when uh, I was younger, a a guy that played for the – Houston Astros by the name of Dickie Thon, who was a pretty good uh, middle infielder. He got hit. I think he actually got hit in the eye, and uh, his he was never the same after that. You know, and it happens. But hopefully, uh, you know, he's going to be okay. But what an absolutely scary moment uh, for the Red Sox. Look, and, you know, the Red Sox are suddenly hot again, right? Won four in a row. They're two games over five hundred. They're only two games back of the wild card. And as I sit here this morning, you know, as, as I was ready to, you know, just write them off for this season say, should they start selling at the trade deadline, you know, here we go again. And you, you have to ask yourself, how invested do I get in this team? Right? I mean, is this team a playoff team? They're getting incredible pitching. Now, losing Tanner Houck is not going to help. Their bullpen's been great. How far are they going to be able to stretch this? Now no Hauk. You already know you don't have Chris Sale. You know, Cutter Crawford wasn't great his last time out. Paxton's been unbelievable. Garrett Whitlock's been great. We know bayo has been great. But how invested do I get? You know, that's a hard one. They're still in last place in the AL East. That's how good that division is. Uh, they're a half a game or a game and a half. I'm sorry, behind Toronto who sits in fourth and they are two games behind the Yankees who hit, uh, sit right now in third place. Uh, look, the Red Sox now head to Minnesota. They have a four game series against the Minnesota twins. Uh, the twins are a 500 team. The twins are playing 500 ball right now. Uh, the Twins are a good team at home. They're 21-17 and 17 at home. Their struggles have been on the road. Um, but if you're Boston, you have to go into Minnesota now, and you've got to win three out of four. You've got to take this series. Paxton's going to start tonight against Pablo Lopez, who came over from the Miami Marlins in a trade that sent uh, Luisa Rice to Miami. Cutter Crawford's going to get the start against Bailey Ober. Bailey Ober's been great for Minnesota. That's going to be the Tuesday matchup. And then Garrett Whitlock will pitch against Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray has been ridiculous. Sonny Gray seems to have reinvented himself. Doesn't throw hard, but he's got an ERA at 2.37. And then Thursday, don't know who the Red Sox are going to start. You know, uh, could it be Corey Kluber? God, I hope not. Could be. Uh, Could it be Nick Pavetta? Maybe. Uh again he's been so good out of the bullpen do you want to do that or do you do something like they did in the first game of the doubleheader and start Caleb Ord again as your opener and then try to do uh you know follow with a a Nick Pavetta and uh you know Johnny Allstaff kind of thing just to try to get through that game I think some of that's going to depend on how the Red Sox have done in the first three games if they go into that if they you know if they've won the two out of the first three going into Thursday they might be willing to roll the dice and throw out a Corey Kluber. If you've lost two of the first three, you know, then it becomes a little bit more desperate, and we'll see what the Red Sox decide to do. But they have got to win this next series. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it uh, when you're playing a 500 team like the Minnesota Twins. 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning, a rainy Monday morning here in western North Carolina, matter of fact, we're supposed to have uh, rain pretty much every day this week, uh, four or five inches of rain heading our way, but we have uh, we have needed it desperately, no question about that, so uh, uh, we'll take it. Um, the Tampa Bay Rays lose yesterday to the San Diego Padres. The Padres win two out of three in that series. The Rays uh, still the team to beat. In Major League Baseball right now, 51 victories. That is five more than the second-best team in the majors, which is uh, the Atlanta Braves. 27 games over 500, but they are just a little bit over a 500 team on the road, and that's where they have been. So they've lost two in a row, uh, playing 500 ball uh, on this current road trip. But that's uh, uh, they'll take that. No question about it. They are still 31-7 and seven at home. But Manny Machado, a couple of runs batted in. Joe Musgrove, six solid innings. Uh, and then the play of the game. Uh, the Padres were actually ahead 5-4, top of the eighth inning. And uh, then uh, a ball hit to uh, the right fielder, Fernando Tatis, who obviously was a shortstop prior to being suspended and all the other good stuff. Um he uh, throws an absolute strike to uh, Austin Nola behind the plate. They get uh, Manuel Margot, who was trying to score from second base on a single by Christian Bethencourt, uh, through an absolute seed. They tag him out at the plate, and that was basically the end of the uh, the the inning and the end of the rally for Tampa because Josh Hader came out in the ninth inning and struck out uh, two of the three batters he faced. And uh, picks up his 18th save of the season, and the Padres win this one by a final of five to four. Uh, look, uh, the Padres are still under 500. They are a game under 500 with all that talent, uh, but the pitching is starting to come around for this team a little bit. And uh, that was a big win for them, a big series win. Uh, and now the Padres will take on the San Francisco Giants starting tonight. The San Francisco Giants. And the Cincinnati Reds are the two hottest teams in baseball right now. Uh, The Reds have won eight in a row. The Giants have won seven in a row. And if you had told anybody prior to the start of the season that we'd be talking about a relevant Cincinnati Reds team or San Francisco Giants team late in this, this this late in the season, midway through the year. Now, maybe they they might have believed you with the Giants, but nobody thought that the Cincinnati Reds were going to be in the middle of anything. And you got to give the Reds a lot of credit. Look, they just swept a series from the Houston Astros, right? The defending World Series champions, the Reds come back. To win, They scored three runs in the 10th inning yesterday, and they beat the Astros 9-7. If you told me you saw that coming, I got a bridge to sell you. Uh, neither starter was very good in this one, uh, but uh, uh, Ellie De La Cruz, the young kid who just came up a couple of weeks ago, has been absolutely on fire for this Reds team. Uh, Had a couple of hits yesterday. Uh, Jake Fraley, also with an RBI, along with Dela Cruz, in the 10th inning. And uh, the longest active streak in the major leagues belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. It is the longest winning streak for the Reds since they won 10 straight in July of 2012. (laughs) Unbelievable. Um, So the Cincinnati Reds on fire, and they now get to play the Colorado Rockies. Now, the Rockies stink. The Rockies just got swept by the Braves. So you would think, you know, advantage Cincinnati. But with the way baseball is, would it shock anybody if Colorado ends up uh, uh, winning? Probably not. Uh, And then the uh, San Francisco Giants. Now, we talked about Red Sox-Yankees this weekend, right? If you're a National League fan, the two biggest rivalries in the National League are the Cubs and Cardinals, and then the Giants and the Dodgers. And, of course, the Giants-Dodgers goes all the way back to when they both were in New York. It was the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And then they both ended up moving over to the West Coast. And those two teams and those two fan bases hate each other. Well, the Giants swept series from the Dodgers this weekend. Logan Webb yesterday, seven great innings, uh, allows just two runs, picks up his sixth win of the season. Tony Gonsolin got drilled by the Dodgers and the Giants win this thing uh, 7-3. Mike Yastrzemski with a couple of hits, including a double. Um, uh, Sable, the catcher, with a couple of hits and a run batted in. Uh, Lamont Wade Jr., with a couple of hits and a couple of runs batted in, and the Giants sweep the series from the Dodgers. The Giants now sit in second place in the National League West behind the Arizona Diamondbacks, three-and-a-half games. The Dodgers are now in third place in that division. They're six games over five hundred. They sit in third. The Padres are a game under five hundred. They are in fourth, seven-and-a-half games back. I mean, uh, again, Giants – have some talent. Now, they just lost uh, one of their outfielders, Mitch Hanniger, fractured his arm by when he got hit by a pitch, so he's going to be out. He just had to have surgery on that arm. He's going to be out for a little while. Uh, but it doesn't look like it has slowed the Giants down at all as they sweep the Dodgers over the weekend. And, again, you know, I, when you're six games over 500, I don't know whether you could say, uh, you know, whether whether the manager's in trouble in Los Angeles or not, but with with their payroll, that's not sitting well with Dodger fans, especially getting swept uh, by the Giants. But seven wins in a row, eight of the last ten for the Giants, thirty nine and thirty two on the season, and uh, they have been a better road team than they have been a home team, which is uh, very very unusual. Uh, back to the American League. The Baltimore Orioles uh, beat the Chicago Cubs yesterday 6-3. to uh, The Cubs had won the first two games of this series. Uh, so the Orioles really needed that one yesterday. Uh, and so they cooled the Cubs off. The Cubs have still won seven of the last ten, but the Orioles win yesterday uh, 6-3. to uh, Dean Kremer, uh, five innings, only gave up one earned run, struck out seven. He picks up his eighth victory of the season. Uh, Anthony Santander with his tenth of the season, and uh, Mike Tocman with a home run for the Cubs, but uh, not enough, as uh, the Orioles win it six to three over Chicago. And again, the Orioles sitting in second place in the American League East. They are still seventeen games over five hundred. And uh, the thing that's been great about Baltimore is they have been equally as good on at home as on the road. They are eight games over five hundred on the road and seven games over 500 – excuse me, nine games over 500 at home. But they have won seven of their last ten, and now a huge series, a three-game series starting on Tuesday between the Orioles and the Tampa Bay Rays. And uh, that's one of those – if if you're – you know, if you are the rest of the American League East, I guess you're rooting for Baltimore to sweep that series. It's not going to happen, uh, but uh, it's one of those things where – uh, the rest of the American League East is just trying to figure out if they've, they've got any chance to catch Tampa. Right now, Baltimore is the only one within shouting distance at five games back. you got the Yankees ten and a half, Bal Toronto 11, and the Red Sox twelve and a half. So you almost have to be a big Baltimore Oriole fan. And I'll tell you what, you know, again, this Oriole team, people keep saying, why did, why did, how did how are the Orioles doing this? Uh, look, um... One of the things to think about with the Orioles is, you know, they were so bad for so long, losing 100 games every year. But one of the things about the Orioles is you can see that there has been progress. They haven't been swept uh, in a series in over a year. The last time they got swept was at Detroit in May of last year. They haven't been swept by a National League team in two years. So this is a team that... Yeah, they've had their you know they've had their struggles at times, but there's been progress. They haven't been uh, a total train wreck. They haven't been the Oakland Athletics or the old Pittsburgh Pirates. You can't necessarily say that about the Pirates this season, but uh, this Oriole team is not going away, uh, and they look like they are. You know, in the only way this team is in any trouble, in my opinion, is if they get hit with a rash of injuries. But right now, they are as solid as can be. Uh, the Blue Jays trying to stay in it. They are now five games over 500 uh, after they get beat by the Texas Rangers yesterday, 11-7. to uh, The uh, uh, Blue Jays, well, actually both starters in this game stunk. John Gray got the start for the Rangers, gave up six runs in uh, just over two innings. Uh, Chris Bassett, who'd been pretty good for Toronto, gives up five runs, seven hits, and three and two-thirds. Uh, so uh, neither starter factored into this one at all. Uh, but the Rangers... Uh, get four hits from Corey Seager and Ezekiel Duran, and they come back to beat the Blue Jays 11-7. Corey Seager with three runs batted in with this one. Duran scored three times. Uh, Look, the the big deal in this one, when you're eight, nine hitters in the lineup who were uh, Duran and Leody Tavares, they had seven hits from the eight, nine slots in the order. That'll beat anybody. I don't care who it is. So uh, the Rangers win 11-7, and uh, they still sit in first place in the American League West, a 4.5-game lead now over the Angels, 5.5 over the Houston Astros. It is 45 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning so uh, yesterday, the Braves were playing the Colorado Rockies. They end up winning the game 14-6. to six. Uh, Eddie Rosario, uh, two home runs in this one. He drove in six. He's now homered in four straight games. Um, but before uh, the game on uh, Sunday, the Braves designated Charlie Culberson, who had come up from AAA, uh, for assignment. Now, you'd say to yourself, well, What's the big deal about that? Well, well, well the big deal is this: uh, the guy who was set to throw out the first pitch on Father's Day in Atlanta against those Rockies was none other than Charlie Culberson's father. <laughs> so. They designate him for assignment just a couple of hours before the game. So, obviously, Charlie Culberson's father is no longer going to throw out the first pitch unless it was going to be to take that ball and throw it up into the press box and try to hit the ownership from the Braves. So, instead, uh, they had uh, Michael Harris's father come out uh, to throw the first pitch instead. And I guess you could say it worked well because Michael Harris then proceeded to go 5 for 5 and score 3 runs uh for the Braves as they erase a 5-nothing deficit and come back to beat the Colorado Rockies uh, 14 to 6. But oh my god, how how, how awkward is that? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> elsewhere in the National League East, the Miami Marlins uh, completed a sweep of the Washington Nationals. Uh, the Marlins win uh, 4-2. to But that's despite not having Luis Arise in the uh, the lineup yesterday. Arise had the day off. He's hitting 388 to lead uh, all of baseball. Uh, but the Marlins are now 10 games over five hundred with that 4-2 to victory yesterday. Jesus Lazardo picked up his sixth win of the season for the Marlins. Uh, he was a guy, by the way, that was originally drafted by the Washington Nationals. Ended up going to Oakland in a trade. Um, but, uh, he comes back to beat the team that drafted him yesterday. Uh, but they are f- 10 games over 500. That is the first time they have been that far over 500 since 2011. It, this, this is the second best start in franchise history through 72 games. The only team, uh, that had uh, done better was that team in 1997. And, uh, by the way, they went on to win the world series, uh, so that was uh, so. it's been a, a hell of a run for the Miami Marlins early in the season. Again, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Now the Marlins uh, will start a three-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays starting tonight. Uh, the Nationals, who absolutely stink, have a three-game series against the Cardinals, another team that stinks. Although, don't tell that to the New York Mets because the Cardinals beat the Mets yesterday 8-7. to They take two out of three in that series. Nolan Arenado with two home runs, including the tiebreaker in the ninth inning that gives the Cardinals the victory. The homer came off of uh, Adovino as the Cardinals win it. Hicks picks up his second stave. Drew Verhagen, uh, who retired all five batters that he faced in relief, uh, picks up the win. He is his fourth win of the season. So the Cardinals take it from the Mets, 8-7. St. Louis – uh, despite winning that series, still 14 games under 500. Yee. Uh It's like the it's it, with the exception of Milwaukee being in first place right now. It's like this division's been turned upside down. Milwaukee's in first. The Cardinals are in last, and then you have Cincinnati and Pittsburgh in second and third. It's like it's like a some kind of alternate universe. Uh, one interesting note yesterday: David Freeze. If you remember. Uh, Fries was the MVP of the 2011 World Series and NLCS for the Cardinals. In the postseason that year, he hit three ninety seven with five homers, 21 runs batted in in 18 games that year. Well, he had been selected by the fans to go into the St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Fame this summer. He informed the uh, club on Saturday that he wants to decline the honor. Uh, you know, and I'll give him, you know, look, I I, and I, I th- and I get it, I think, why he's doing this. Basically what he's saying is, look, I played for the team for four years. My numbers were okay, but there's people that played for this franchise that did a hell of a lot more than I did. I had a great run for 18 games. And he said, he said, I look at who I was during my tenure, and he said that weighs heavily on me. Um, Basically saying, I realized that, you know, I wasn't a, an all-time great, so I don't really belong in a Hall of Fame. Uh, he said, I'm sorry for the fans that took the time to vote. Um he said, "Cardinal Nation is basically the reason why I've waited so long to make this decision, and made it more of a headache for so many people." He said, "But I feel strongly about it, and I understand how some people might f- feel about it." He said, "I get it. I'll wear it." Um, he said, "Thanks for always being there for me, and I'm excited to be around the Cardinals as we move forward." Look, I think it's, a, and he's a local kid. I mean, he's 40 years old. He's not a kid anymore, but he went to St. Louis Community College, went to high school in the suburbs of, of St. Louis. Um, and he said he still plans to be around the team. He just doesn't feel like he belongs along the side, alongside the likes of guys like Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and Rogers Hornsby and Stan Musial. I one hundred percent get it, and I, I, I admire, um, I do. I admire his stance. Absolutely do. You know, I'd love to see somebody that's on the Hall of Fame ballot for the real Hall of Fame say, so, you know what, just take me off the ballot because I mean, come on, really. You know what I mean? It's just, but uh, so good for him, good for him. Uh, the Brewers, I'd them. They still sit in first place. They hand the Pirates their sixth straight loss. Uh, Raimel Tapia, remember him? Was with the Red Sox until a little while ago. Uh, with a sacrifice fly uh, in a four-run eighth inning, um, that put the uh, the Brewers ahead as they go on to beat the Pirates uh, by a final of uh, five to two. The Pirates are struggling mightily right now. Uh, They are a game under 500, and uh, they get to play the Cubs now in Pittsburgh, and uh, they're trying to turn things around. And then the Brewers uh, will go on to take on the first-place Arizona Diamondbacks from the NL West. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hey, it's Ann Wilson's birthday today. One of the Ann and Nancy Wilson from Heart. Uh, Ann is seventy-three years old. In honor of that, we're going to play a little Magic Man. Have a great Monday. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.